Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. is your number one source for all your betting needs get the latest odds lines and matchup reports for baseball boxing golf and more bet online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers including live betting in your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action remember to use promo code believe that's b-l-e-a-v for your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit Bet online where the game starts. All right, folks, this is Jeremy Evans, your host of the California Sports Lawyer Podcast. As always, thank you for making us number one sports law podcast in the world for three years running. This is episode 29 of season five. And uh, again, thank you for being with us. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, some of the new name, image, and likeness legislation uh, that has been. Um, introduced in Congress, uh, specifically uh, the United States Senate. And uh, it's it's interesting because um, with NIL or name, image, and likeness, you know, I was sort of uh, one of these folks who, and there was, there was many others who thought that we would never see the day that um, legislation uh, would be passed in uh in congress uh, regarding nil for a multitude of issues which we'll go over in the podcast today but that was sort of my thinking was that you know we live in this sort of constitutional republic where states rights are anything not specifically delineated in the united states constitution or by some federal law regulation where the federal government kind of pervades a space um that you know, usually the states and private contracting, and um, you know the the ability for parties to sort of have and and for individuals to have their own liberty to contract, which should sort of usually the way to go. Um, and then the next step was well, even if if any legislation was re, you know introduced, uh, there was no way that it was going to pass. And so where we're at now is that there's been I think three at least three. Uh, NIL pieces of legislation that have been introduced. And there's one that I'm going to spend some particular time on um, discussing. And this is not to take away from the other politicians who have introduced legislation to try to solve a potential problem, um, but uh, but also from the standpoint that, um, you know, really just sort of looking at uh, the newest piece of legislation, which has been introduced by uh, – Democrat West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin and Republican Alabama Senator Tommy uh, Tuberville. And um, there has been other pieces of legislation, one that was introduced, I think, by Cory Booker. Um, and then there's also another one that's uh, being introduced by Ted Cruz out of Texas. But again, sort of focusing in on this, I, I have to wonder, too, at the outset of this podcast, how much credit. Uh, should be given to former Governor Charlie Baker, Republican from uh, Massachusetts, uh, who is the uh, 
newly minted president of the NCAA. And, you know, I can, I think certainly Baker's ex experience as a politician um, has helped and will continue to help in Capitol Hill or on Capitol Hill, um, you know, to get legislation passed or at least um, get introduced in, in, in Congress. But I, I, you know, myself and, and others, uh, you know, still firmly believe that any legislation is unlikely to get passed. And I'll, I'll go through the reasons why. Uh, again, in this podcast. So this is a piece of legislation, again, introduced by Joe Manchin and, and uh, Tommy Tuberville, two senators, uh, one from West Virginia, one from Alabama. And uh, the stated purpose is to, quote, um, strikes a balance between protecting the rights of student athletes and maintaining the integrity of college, college sports, end quote. And the title of the, of the legislation is Protecting Athletes Schools and Sports Act, or PASA for short. Now, look, I'm not sure if they meant for the acronym to be PASA, um, but you know, it is kind of uh, uh, has an interesting ring to it, and it's and it's easier, frankly, to say than the full Protecting Athletes, Schools and Sports Act. So, PASA for short, at least for this podcast, we'll refer to it as, um, which is not to be confused with PASPA, P-A-S-P-A which was the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act, uh, which was a gambling prohibi prohibition or sports book prohibition, um, which was de deemed unconstitutional by the, United States, by the United States Supreme Court in the Murphy v. NCAA case in 2018. And what that act did was it said, and this is important to remember, is it said that uh, states other than the ones grandfathered in this specific act, which was Las Vegas and Oregon and a few others, which had existing sort of gambling um, uh, sort of programs going on uh, or businesses going on, that it was not allowed in other states. And and this and the idea was that you know they didn't want this sort of rampant uh, um, sort of creation of uh, of gambling in other states. Of course, now that's all sort of out the window uh, with with PASPA sort of being found to be unconstitutional because it commandeered these states to not do something. And again, we'll come back to that. So back to the PASA legislation. Again, this is the NIL legislation most recently introduced by Joe Manchin and Tommy Tuberville, two senators from West Virginia uh, and Alabama, respectively. So these two senators introduced this um, and so it's a bipartisan legislation. Now, if it's passed by both houses of Congress, again, I think unlikely and signed by the president, uh, which is probably unlikely as well, would provide with the following. And these are sort of seven important points. One is at the outset, a uniform NIL law for the United States. So that's, that's sort of the overarching purpose. Second is a prohibition on NIL deals that include any sin industry or unsavory products or services or businesses. So think gambling, um, you know, think prostitution, think, um, you know, pornography, think alcohol, think cigarettes, um, anything to do with that, which, you know, frankly is, is, uh, is kind of forbidden in, in, in many other sports as well. I mean, you don't see NFL and NBA guys going after marijuana businesses in, in sort of droves. Uh, if, even if it is allowed. And, uh, and it goes, of course, those are professional leagues, right? When you're dealing with uh, college, it's a little bit different. And 
Now, you may make the argument that, well, these folks are forced to go to college because if they want to get drafted, some of that is changing through some of these high school and sort of uh, the G League and some of these other sort of minor league, um, you know, sort of opportunities. But again, at least on the current system, you're sort of forced to go. And, and I agree with that. I think that there's there's a problem when you're forcing somebody to go through a certain system to get drafted unless you play overseas or something like that because um, college sports really doesn't exist overseas. Um, and really in any sense, it really exists. Uh, you're either pro um, or that's pretty much or you're playing in some sort of club league. It's just it's just different here in the States where education and sports have sort of been tied, which is not necessarily a bad thing from a development standpoint as, as I think both can help with a person's development, uh, but it's sort of become uh, taboo in that sports have become um, financially viable uh, in high school and in college. And so that's where sort of the rubber meets the road, right? But uh, so again, there's this prohibition on, uh, and again, I, I don't I don't, I don't, mind this too much. I think this is actually a good thing. Uh, I think, uh, especially when folks, folks are younger, um, you know, I think this is a good thing to kind of restrict that. Uh, and frankly, it's college, right? So college should have a say in and what products are associated with, uh, with it, uh, and and as should sports teams and as should sports leagues. I mean, look, you join a country club and you join a league, you got to follow its rules unless you change them. Um, but that's sort of that. Uh, the third piece is a federal trade commission. Uh, so basically, using the FTC, which is an existing uh, federal agency, to serve as both not only the agent licensing for NIL but also as sort of a database for approval of uh, of the, the deals. Uh, major issue, which we'll come back to. Uh, four is a limitation on collectives and boosters that requires an underlying connection to the university. So there's some sort of relationship there. Uh, this can work both ways. This is kind of can be looked at. This is looking at protecting the athletes and the institutions, uh, particularly from reputation. Uh, but it's also a situation where the university probably wants to review these things and it may also be a situation the university is looking to get a cut, uh, which is sort of an untold or sort of unspoken, uh, I think, issue going on with a lot of these deals and universities beginning to take over a lot of the NIL programs and using NIL to recruit athletes, uh, which we'll come back to. Uh, but again, I think a, a limitation is probably uh, warranted and in, in at least some review of that. The second piece, which is um, maybe a more important issue, uh, particularly in terms of approval and regulation, is that uh, student athletes must receive equal deals between male and female. So if you offer a male athlete money or female athlete or a certain sport or team money, you have to offer the same for the other team. Um, I don't know how this is feasible. Um, I think obviously from a Title IX perspective, but again, I don't think that any of these deals, NIL, was never meant to be um, subject to Title IX because these were private deals uh, that these athletes were doing off the field, right, for their name, image, and likeness. And the idea was that they were going to uh, gain business acumen from this and create their own sort of name, image, and likeness and to promote it on uh, social media. That, of course, has changed now where, again, the universities are getting involved. And uh, frankly, I think this is really to the potentially the university's detriment in the sense that the more they get involved, the more they're going to be regulated. And, and, and I think athletes would be better off working on this on their own. But I think 
you know, maybe it's just, you know, some folks see it, it's easier to, to broker these deals through uh, a collective and through the university and less work. Maybe that's the case. But again, the more you do that, the more you're going to be regulated and the more you're going to be subject to Title IX and, and these other things where, um, and I don't know how a brand would feel about it, but if I'm going after the top quarterback uh, as a brand um, and, you know, I'm looking at, okay, like, okay, what's my return on investment? Uh, how much money am I putting into this? What do I really want to get out of this? That sort of thing. Well, from a financial standpoint, um, it would be tough, I think, as a brand to say we have to give equal money to both, right? Um, when you're not seeing a return on investment. Now, of course, look, um, maybe other some brands don't care about that, and they're and they want to have equality in their deals and and uh, and 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 the like. And again, teach their own. But I'm just sort of laying out some of the issues that may come up. Uh, with this, right? So, um, and again, look, female sports are growing and continuing to bring in new revenues. But as it stands now, it's the male sports that are are um, the money makers, particularly um, college football and men's basketball. So we'll see where that goes. But again, just putting it out there as a um, sort of as a note and as a flag as to uh, some of the issues that some of these brands are going to be dealing with if this law were to ever to be passed. Uh, the fifth sort of piece is a limitation on college athlete transfers without penalty uh, to students who have completed three years of eligibility. So there will be this prohibition on transferring before three years. Um, so in penalty would probably be like you sit out for a year or something like that, or some sort of fines being paid by the school, uh, the school that's accepting the transfer student. And then the last piece is sort of stronger requirements for scholarships to be honored. I assume this means that if this is sort of one of those issues that's going to protect the schools as well as the transfer piece is that you have a situation where scholarships offer, but then the student decides to leave. They want to make sure that obviously scholarships are only honored if, this, if the, the athlete is playing there, that sort of thing, um, or whatever other scenario they can come up with. Now, the legislation does provide somewhat of an antitrust exemption, not specifically but when it sort of carve outs the NCAA uh, through this legislation and creates this sort of FTC division for NIL, uh, and in many ways kind of creates a um, you know protection for the NCAA. It's not obvious or blatant, but uh, I think that many folks would agree that there is something there. And then, of course, the last piece would be that students would not be classified as employees in this legislation. So, uh, again, which is something that others have called for. And the other thing that's missing from this, from you know what folks might um, uh, argue for, is the point of shared revenue. Uh, so those things are not in this particular legislation. Now, I will mention that the uh, Cory Booker legislation, Senator Cory Booker's le uh, proposed legislation, uh, would not create an FTC-type government approval. It would be a private, uh, sort of independent, neutral body that would approve uh the NIDs and licensing and that sort of thing, and of course, this would remove you know state law or at least make it um, moot in some sense uh, if this were to pass. So that's kind of the breakdown of what's going on. Now, look here. Here's sort of my feedback on this. I, I think the legislation is admirable from a standpoint that it, it attempts to streamline NIL processes, um, you know, deal making in the industry, and allow for more parity. Um, 
you know, meaning uh, equality among uh, among the states and universities in recruiting athletes for NIL. Uh, however, I think there's uh, a couple major issues uh, with this legislation. One is the issue just sort of at the outset of the ability to pass. I just don't think this passes the House, let alone the Senate. I might be wrong in that. Uh, and frankly, there's some pieces in this legislation that I wouldn't want to be passed, uh, which we'll get into here uh, right now. So again, it's admirable with what's trying to happen. Uh, but I think short of overseeing the sale of securities, private contracts have never been subject to government, let alone federal government review or approval. And I think this is setting a very bad precedent. And this is not something that you would want the government involved in, uh, in terms of private contracting, particularly for college athletes. Um, imagine for a second, if you're in Major League Baseball and you had to go through a federal government entity to approve baseball contracts. Right. So I just, it's just something that's unheard of. Right. And I don't think athletes, student athletes should be treated differently in that sense. I mean, they're, they're on the precipice in some sense of becoming pro athletes uh, and in some ways are treated like pro athletes, uh, except for the education and the academic piece. Uh, but I think this would be a huge mistake to open up private contracts to a government entity or approval, let alone the licensing of agents or lawyers to do this. Um, so that's sort of uh, one issue to take a look at. And again, it's just people highly irregular. Um, and I think it's a very dangerous proposition uh, to put private contracting in in favor of sort of some centralized control, um, you know, which is in many ways uh, kind of akin to uh, maybe like a Soviet bloc country under the thumb of a foreign power, right? It's it's um, not the greatest situation. I, I Personally, I think, and I think others would agree with me. Um, the other piece is, is that, you know, I believe that state legislatures would file lawsuits for the constitutionality of, of uh, the federal government wiping out their NIL laws. Uh, PASA uh, would uh, commandeer the states to not do something, which was similar to PASPA. Uh, and it's clear that the United States Supreme Court um, for years now has ruled that the 10th Amendment um, going back to the 1980s, uh, so all different sort of um, Supreme Court mixtures of justices, so not just sort of recently or the last 10 years or so, uh, but it's clear the United States Supreme Court has ruled that the 10th Amendment prohibits the federal government from forcing states to pass or not pass a certain legislation or to enforce federal law. So, um, you know, again, unless it's specifically laid out in the United States Constitution, which is limited, by the way, it's limited government. When you're talking about, you know, um, the need to form a military, uh, to issue taxes, that sort of thing, right? Now, of course, federal government, um, you know, has grown, uh, but has never grown into contracts. And I think again, once you open this up, it doesn't come back, right? So once the government gets involved in this, it's not going to come back. Uh, so PASA, the this PASA Act uh, would force states to follow the new law and forego their own state laws. The other issue is that the 10th Amendment, the United States Constitution, which, by the way, was ratified back in December 15 of 1791, so we're going back a long ways, uh, provides that any powers that are not specifically given to the federal government or withheld from the states are reserved to those prospective states or the people at large. So just it's just very clear. Um, contracting between private parties and even educational institutions has always been private. It's always been local. It's always been a state power was never meant to be regulated by the federal government 
um, particularly on an individual level. I just can't see, you know, Joe Smith quarterback, um, you know, signing a deal and having it approved by some, by the FTC. It's just, it's, it's not going to happen. Um, at least we hope it doesn't happen. Uh, and you would sort of think that PASPA, again, the Prohibition on Gambling Act, would have been an example to legislatures, um, you know, sort of as this federal mandate against powers and authority, um, you know, reserved for people in the states, and it, that should have been left alone. But that being said, sort of that's where the legislation is. And again, if this runs through Congress, uh, some of these pieces I'm sure would be changed or, or what have you. Now, there's also something to be said about encouraging competition amongst the states and educational institutions. And I'd be a proponent, and I am a proponent, of states having their own, NI, their own NIL laws. I think it creates an opportunity for states to compete with each other, which is great, for universities to compete with each other. I think universities need to get out of their minds that there needs to be an equal playing field. There's a reason why an athlete chooses one school over the other. Now, can it, it should it be unfair? No, this is where I think regulation comes involved, but I think it should be done by the states and by the conferences and by the schools themselves and frankly by the NCAA. But again, we'll sort of uh, dig into this a little bit deeper. Uh, and, and as a matter of fact, it was indeed competition started by the state of California in passing the Fair Pay to Play Act that led to other state legislatures, legislatures passing laws that allowed for NIL. And so in one sort of fell swoop through this potential PASA Act, um, Congress would take away that sort of sort of one-size-fits-all model. Now, in many ways, the NCAA lost its chance to have a streamlined legal system or process when it took too long to act upon uh, calls for NIL and those different opportunities that presented itself. And now it's sort of trying to take a different bite of the apple through some federal legislation. I also think that forcing private brands and businesses to offer equal money to male and female athletes is probably the wrong approach, right? You know, really forcing a private business to do something has been found unconstitutional in many different ways. Now, look, in a private setting, you can say, oh, well, you know, the federal government's not involved. But when you involve the universities, it is because they're taking their quasi state entity because they are educating students and they're taking federal dollars right, for, for uh, grants and whatnot. So uh, there's some potential huge issues here and, frankly, a breach into private deal-making. Um, and, of course, as you know, the United States Supreme Court recently uh, declared affirmative action, uh, affirmative action program um, through, I think it was through Harvard, uh, unconstitutional. Now, you might be saying, well, how does this apply? I'm just saying that, uh, again, the Supreme Court has shown that any sort of favorable treatment, which in some sense this might be, right? Because when you're looking at it from a economic standpoint, the, the male sports make more money. So you'd be forcing a business to say you have to pay uh, these other sort of sports the same. That's going to be very difficult for a business to do, especially if it's making strategic decisions. And maybe not. Maybe some businesses accept that, and that's okay too. I'm just saying these are some of the issues that are going to be brought up uh, I think by some of the businesses. Um, again, one of the issues with bringing in the government to some of these things is going to be that issue. And of course, the more you tie NIL to universities, the more Title IX is going to be involved, right? Which is uh, the sort of uh, not having discrimination uh, when it comes to um, you know male and female sports. So I get the call 
uh, of the question, so to speak, in that you have to bring in Title IX when you're dealing with universities. But this is the problem, again, when you mix uh, sort of uh, private and public. Uh, so we'll sort of see how this plays out. Um, and of course, any sort of program that uh, sort of affirms a certain thing over another or uh, forces, you know, uh, sort of equal pay or what have you, it has to be, um, you know, very clearly defined and, and sort of strictly and sufficiently limited. So we'll see how that plays out if this were to be a part of any legislation. But it's not something that NIL laws, I think, originally set out to do. It was originally sent out to be a private contracting way for athletes to make business separate from the institutions. So we'll sort of see kind of going backwards in some way uh, with regard to universities getting more and more involved. So um, again, whether you agree or not, I'm just you know sort of bringing the issue to the forefront. Some businesses are going to potentially have an equal protection clause um, sort of claim if the university is forcing them to do one thing or another, but we'll sort of see how that plays out. You know, it might be a weak argument, but um, you know, I, again, I think it's something to, uh, to take a look at and what universities could do and what conferences could do is similar to like when you, when you build a building and you get lead status on it, you know, for being gold or platinum, you could do a similar thing for businesses. You know, if they have a reputation of being fair and equitable and providing, you know, equal pay and this sort of thing, um, despite economic circumstances, you know, maybe you give them, you know, uh, some sort of status or uh, preferential treatment. But again, you're going to run across legal issues potentially. Um, but again, we'll see how that plays out. Now, some of the provisions of this sort of mansion Tuberville uh, legislation, it, it does address major issues specifically for collectives and boosters. One of the big issues between um, you know, coaches over this last year has been this idea of, you know, this unfair landscape from one state to another and uncertainty as to the laws and regulations. Um, and one way to solve that would be for the NCAA to step in and, and, you know, take control and to issue some sort of threshold or sort of bottom line, um, you know, or maximums, if you will, uh, to make it sort of uh, more fair. Uh, but I think this bill does do some work with regard to collectives and boosters and having a connection to the university and some regulation there. It also li limits transfers, uh, which I think, frankly, when combined with NIL, uh, really makes more for a play-for-play play system, which is not what the framers of NIL intended. It was meant to be a private system where folks could make money from their name, image, and likeness. It wasn't meant for the universities to get involved course that's all changed right and we'll see how this plays out because i think there's been this sort of uh, rush to the gates if you will to uh to have changes and to have an effect um so we'll see how that plays but um it is interesting that the, this transfer limitation also follows adam silver's comments who's the uh, national basketball association commissioner um recent comments about limiting self-demanded trades of players under contract and I think it's sort of this thing of leagues and the NCAA and, you know, um, uh, universities pushing back on this point that, you know, they're just as much as athletes should have rights, there also should be respect for the process and respect for the recruiting and respect for making a promise to go to a university. I think sort of, again, this idea that um, there's a dichotomy, there's two different interests going on and 
um, and usually the deal is met in the middle uh, or somewhere around there. But again, just interesting to note. Uh, and then lastly, the piece of insurance and scholarship and product service protections and limitations, I think will provide, frankly, for more clarity and protection, um, uh, which is you know, particularly more fitting for a college campus. So kind of in closing, um, I think, you know, again, many in the industry do not believe that federal legislation on NIL will pass the U.S. Senate, let alone the House of Representatives. But if the PASA Act uh, is successful in receiving enough votes and reaches the president's desk and the president signs it, I, you know, again, I think you're going to see some state-sponsored lawsuits uh, would certainly ensue to declare that some federal NIL law unconstitutional. Maybe I'm wrong in that. Maybe states do want to see um, some sort of national law. But um, if I was a state governor or a uh, you know a state legislature uh, legislator, I would not be um, uh, you know sort of in agreement with that. I think the work that's gone into it and this sort of specific nature of states and how they operate, I think, should be protected. Uh, and an honored, uh, frankly, and, and I think the Constitution would probably back that up. Um, but Congress getting involved in private contracts would be indeed uh, at the least very rare uh, and unusual uh, and at the most sort of unconstitutional. Uh, it's an approach that has been tested before with PASPA uh, and to this point has failed. Now, look, on the other hand, an NIL system left unchecked uh, is not good either, uh, and you need um, some sort of regulation similar to sports betting. Where, when when Murphy um, NCAA case came down, when that decision came down from the Supreme Court, it didn't say open up gambling everywhere. It said states now have the opportunity, as they did prior to this act, to open up their own sports books and gambling, but they have to do it through a threshold, through a system, through legislation. So similar to NIL, right? You have to. Couldn't, it wasn't just that you just had it; is it usually would have to create a system to make it legal. And of course, it was those laws that forced the NCAA to change its mind on NIL. Um, and of course, you do have um, rights of publicity on the books through case law and through legislation prior to NIL. Uh, but these laws specifically laid out what it would look like in college sports as opposed to a professional setting. Um, but again, I think the NCAA and member institutions relying on the federal government to do its work is a mistake. Uh, in the short term and in the long term, because I think it opens up Pandora's proverbial box for adding private contracting to federal government purview, particularly for student athletes. I just don't think this is the right way to move forward. Um, and I think it'd be better if the NCAA issued rules and regulations. Uh, co if conferences did it, uh, frankly, you could see conferences issuing sort of academic and NIL regulations, regulations among its members. Um and now, frankly, it could also mean this could also lead to more autonomy for the Power Five conferences. Um, it could also mean revenue-producing sports like men's basketball and football move out of the NCAA's jurisdiction. However, whatever the plan or result, I think um, college sports doesn't need saving. Um, I think it needs guidance and leadership on the ground that does not involve Congress or the federal government. This has to be done by the states, has to be done by the NCAA, has to be done by the conferences. Uh, I would sort of uh, make a comparison to, let's say, steroids in baseball. Anytime a big issue comes up, Congress gets involved. Um, they'll issue declarations. They'll, it, they'll introduce laws. But I, I just don't see this moving forward to a voting stage. And I think a lot of 
Congress um, men and women would be um, remiss to ignore uh, their constituents' calls and that sort of thing. Because there seems to be, um, on one side, you know, maybe universities calling for some uniform law. I think athletes, student athletes, you know, might have an interest in it in that, you know, they want to know what they're dealing with. Uh, but ultimately, when they're going to a school, they're only dealing with that state's laws, right? Unless they decide to transfer and then they deal with one other state. Um, but I think as long as there's, you know, some uniformity when it comes to NIL with regard to thresholds and minimums and, you know, basically a list of things you can't do, um, you know, done through the NCAA, which would be doing its job if, if it were to do that. And I think people would be welcome of that. Um, I think that'd be the better path to go. Um, it also needs direct feedback and input from the student athletes. They need to have an input in this and be able to say what their interests are and what they would like to see as well. Um, you know, wait along, you know, with um, whatever the universities are looking at. Uh, but again, folks, thanks again for listening in. You know, I'm your host, Jeremy Evans. Uh, this is the California Sports Lawyer Podcast. This has been brought to you by Bet Online. As always, thanks for making us number one sports law podcast in the world for three years running now. And um, we'll look forward to being back with you next week. Thank you so much.